Welcome to The Last Month at the Federal Circuit, a look at recent Federal Circuit decisions impacting the intellectual property community. Finnegan partner Dory Hines joins us now to offer insight into a recently decided case involving International Trade Commission jurisdiction and remedies. Dory, can you start off by giving us some background on the case you'll be discussing? Sure will. And before I do that, we're recording this on March 23rd. I want to say first, I hope everyone's healthy and staying that way in the time that we are. The decision I'm going to be talking about today, issued March 2nd by the Federal Circuit, has a bit of an interesting background. The appeal was filed in January of 2018. The oral argument was in March of 2019. So the appeal has been pending for quite some time. It was argued um, more than two years ago. Decision came out recently, fairly short but important decision with respect to ITC jurisdiction and the availability of remedies and to whom those remedies can be enforced against in the ITC. So let me provide a little bit of background. The case involves Comcast, ARIS, and Technicolor. They are respondents in an ITC investigation brought by Rovi. And the products at issue and the products that are subject to Rovi's claims are interactive program guide systems. So the program guides you see on your television. And in particular, remote access to those guides to record programming. And by remote access, what's claimed is that a user can use their mobile device to get an identification of programming on it, on the phone, for example, and then decide what to record. And in doing that, can send communications to his set-top box and then record programmings um, on a set-top box through the mobile device. So there are two pieces of equipment that are relevant here. One is the set-top box and the other is the user's mobile device. And in the claims that were asserted, the activity of both of those is required. And that's important to the substantive issues that we'll discuss. What are the issues addressed by the Federal Circuit? The issues discussed by the Federal Circuit directly track issues found by the Commission. So let me address those first and then talk about the issues as addressed by the Federal Circuit. The Commission found that Comcast was an importer of X1 set-top boxes and that its customers directly infringe when they use those set-top boxes with their mobile devices. The Commission also found that ARIS and Technicolor, also respondents in the case, they did not infringe because they did not provide the remote access device, that is the mobile device that's used with the set-top box to record programming. And they found that ARIS and Technicolor also are not contributory infringers because set-top boxes have substantial non-infringing uses. And that's understandable. The set-top boxes can be used in other ways than with a mobile device to record programming. And additionally, the commission issued a limited exclusion order, and that excluded importation of the set-top boxes by Comcast. But it also included importation by ARIS and Technicolor on behalf of Comcast, even though ARIS and Technicolor were found not to be infringers. So then let's look at the issues as decided by the Federal Circuit and as framed up by the appellants on appeal. Are the set-top boxes articles that infringe when there is no infringement at the time of importation? And there's no infringement at the time of importation because the set-top boxes have to be used with a mobile device, with the user's phone. That's the first issue. Second, can Comcast be subject to a limited exclusion order when it itself is not an importer? And the third, corollary to the second, 
can ARIS and Technicolor be subject to a limited exclusion order when they do not infringe? And so those are the, the three substantive legal issues as framed by, by the appellants on appeal. And how did the court address whether the set-top boxes are articles that infringe? The Federal Circuit answered the question, yes, they are articles that infringe. And in doing that, the Federal Circuit looks at the holding of Suprema. And recall, in 2015, the Federal Circuit issued an in-bank decision in the Suprema case, looking at the issue of whether infringement at the time of importation is required for the ITC to find infringement. And in Suprema, the Federal Circuit said no, that Section 337 applies to articles that infringe after importation. So the courts and the commission do not look just to the moment of importation, but to a continuum of acts surrounding importation. So acts that occur outside the United States in designing and developing a product, and then also acts that occur within the United States after the product is imported and then set up or designed or developed for an infringing use. Now here, the infringement includes the X1 set-top box and the user's mobile device. There is no direct infringement until a customer uses his mobile device with the set-top box. And what's interesting about this and has potential ramifications for future cases is this appears to expand upon Suprema. In the Suprema case, and that case involved fingerprint scanning and fingerprint scanners, Suprema sold for importation scanners, fingerprint scanners, and also a software development kit. The other respondent, Mentalix, they developed software for the scanner with the software development kit and then bundled that software with the scanner and resold it. But it was all done on the same device, the scanner. The code was developed for the scanner, put on the scanner, and then sold. And so in Suprema, the MBank Federal Circuit said that that was an infringing importation. Although at the time of importation, the product could not scan in the way required by the claims because it needed software to do that, that later development of software and loading that software on the device resulted in an infringing importation. Here, the holding is a little bit broader and consistent with Suprema, but pushes it. Here, the infringing importation is the importation of the set-top box, which will be used with another device, the user's mobile device. That mobile device is not imported with the set-top box. They're separate and apart from each other. But what the Federal Circuit affirmed was that in this situation as well, there is an infringing importation where Comcast imports or has imported on its behalf set-top boxes that ultimately will be used by its customers who are the direct infringers along with their mobile devices to infringe the claims. Okay, so if Comcast itself does not import set-top boxes, how can it be considered an importer? Yeah, it's a good question and an interesting legal issue that was addressed by the court. And I should go back and say this was one of the fundamental issues on appeal that Comcast raised. In fact, Comcast did not dispute that there was direct infringement by its customers or that it induced infringement. Instead, Comcast made the argument that just discussed with respect to whether there was an article that infringes. And then the second argument about whether because it itself did not import articles, it could not be subject to liability under Section 337. 
And the Federal Circuit affirmed the commission here and said that Comcast is sufficiently involved in the design, manufacture, and importation such that it is an importer. So even though it itself did not import the products, things like specifications, acceptability standards, detailed technical documents, the fact that the set-top boxes operate as required by Comcast and within its network was enough for the commission to say and the Federal Circuit to affirm that Comcast itself was involved enough in the activities with respect to importation and with respect to these particular products that are imported for it, for its network, and for its customers, that it would be considered an importer. So here, an important consideration moving forward is that an entity like Comcast, who has others perform or directs others to perform importation on its behalf, can be subject to limited exclusion orders or orders from the commission. If Eris and Technicolor do not infringe, how can they be included on the limited exclusion order? And that was Eris and Technicolor's primary argument on appeal. They highlighted the fact that the commission found that the set-top boxes are not infringing when they are imported, and also that there was no contributory infringement because there are substantial non-infringing uses for the set-top boxes. That is, they can be used in other ways other than with a user's mobile device. Because of that, Aris and Technicolor said they should not be subject to the limited exclusion order. And on that point, the Federal Circuit pointed out that the limited exclusion order is itself limited to importation by Aris and Technicolor on behalf of Comcast. So it does tie in specifically to Comcast's activities and to activities that Aris and Technicolor perform on behalf of Comcast. The Federal Circuit said this was within the commission's discretion to do this and to formulate a relief consistent with the actual activities being performed so that an entity like Comcast could not have activities performed by it and then avoid liability. Dory, is there anything else that you want to leave us with about this decision? There is. There is another interesting issue, and it's a gating issue in the decision, and that is during the pendency of the appeal, both of the asserted patents expired. Typically, in ITC cases, the expiration of the patents means the case ends, and that's because the relief from the ITC is prospective. It involves exclusion orders, and the patents need to be still alive, having not expired, in order for there to be relief. And so that was a gating issue that the Federal Circuit addressed in whether or not it could issue a decision at all here. And what the court said is that this decision would be relevant to pending ITC investigations on unexpired Roe v. patents. There are pending cases. So the case remained alive based on what the court called collateral consequences, those collateral consequences being the applicability of the Federal Circuit's decisions on what is an article that infringes at the time of importation or whether that's required, and also who is an importer for purposes of relief under the statute. So while normally this case would not have gotten a decision because the patents had expired, there were overriding considerations that led the Federal Circuit to conclude in this case, it made sense to issue the decision. So a side note to patent holders who may be considering these issues with respect to a portfolio of patents and considering expiration dates and potential relief they could get. Our guest has been Dory Hines, a partner at Finnegan, one of the largest IP law firms in the world. 
For more commentary on intellectual property news and issues, to listen to other podcasts, and to receive additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan. Thank you.